Let's do this one last time. Hello, webheads, and welcome to another episode of Third Times a Charm. This is episode 56, Spider-Man, The Dragon's Challenge. And I'm your host, your friendly neighborhood Spider-Man, swinging your way. Joining me today is my unofficial co-host, Brian Rodriguez, who messaged me after completing our month-long Spider Review event on High School Slumber Party last December, culminating in a crossover episode with this show for Spider-Man No Way Home. And he sent me a link to the original 1977 Spider-Man TV series. And furthermore, the three movies released overseas that consisted of compiling two-part episodes together to fill the acquired runtime. It goes without saying, I had to do the third movie, The Dragon's Challenge, which is originally the two-part series finale of the Spider-Man TV show called The Chinese Web. Not here today is Kyle, who I gave off because I'll be subjecting him to plenty of other hidden gems in the Marvel movie multiverse. And, well, Brian and I just rewatched almost all the Spider-Man movies together, so it seemed fitting we conclude this series here on my show together with this sort of TV movie, I guess. I really had a fun time with this, and I'm looking forward to covering one of the Hulk TV movies in the very near future, but we get into all that and so much more today on this Marvelicious episode. Without further ado, grab your passport, load your camera, and pack a suitcase, because we're headed far from home. Welcome back. I'm joined here today with my unofficial co-host once again, Brian Rodriguez. Hello, Brian. Welcome back to the show. Happy to be back, Mike. Happy to be back, Spider-Manzy. Yes. So, it ain't over yet. <laughs> if you've been listening to this show, I've been hyping that over on Brian's show, High School Slumber Party. He and I had a huge Spider Month in the last month of the last year leading up to No Way Home. Uh, and then we had the big crossover episode. You know, we thought we'd covered everything. And then I get this message from Brian saying, what's this all about? Have you heard about this? And he had reminded me that in the 70s and 80s, 
there was indeed a TV show. I believe we talked about it a little bit on those episodes, but there was a TV show. But there are three movies that uh, were released overseas, and um, <laughs> that's sort of what we're doing back here today, Brian, right? I mean, this is this is kind of your fault, but I'm glad we're here. Not blaming you, but what what is this? What are we doing here? You want to elaborate just a little bit? Well, I'm definitely glad to be here because I really didn't know this existed, and we can get into that a little bit. But, uh, of course, we're talking Spider-Man, the Dragon's Challenge, which, again, I don't know why it's called that. Also, a.k.a. the Chinese Web. The Chinese Web, yes. I am uh, actually excited to talk about this because I feel like people think Marvel films were born in that, like, X-Men, Spider-Man... The late 90s, the early 2000s, sort of the turn of the century. But Brian, you and I are about to explore a dark corner of the multiverse known as the swinging 70s. <laughs> On High School Slumber Party, you let me know about that Doctor Strange movie, um, which I had no idea they tried to do that. Uh, so I knew they had did a Spider-Man, but I had no idea like what it was like. I'd never seen a second of it. I just knew it existed like because my uncle told me. The most famous one was probably the Incredible Hulk of that era. Yeah, so the Incredible Hulk had, like ran for five or six seasons. Very successful. There's three made-for-TV movies of that as well that came after the show ended, so we'll get into that one day. But, but Brian, are you also aware that there were two Captain America movies from the late 70s as well? So Marvel was really dominating you know, television in early VHS. I didn't know the Captain America thing until I did the research for this film. I guess the only two that entered cultural zeitgeist, and one's not even Marvel, is the Hulk one, you know, Bill Bixby, Lou Ferrigno, and the Wonder Woman show, which again, I know that's DC, but those feel like the two superhero shows that transcended nerddom to mainstream America. Does that make sense? Yeah, you pretty much had everybody trying to either live up to or set themselves apart from what they did with Batman in the 60s, yes. right? So like that was sort of the genesis. That was a bit of the template. And certainly Wonder Woman did a good job of it doing its own thing. It's a little weird. In the first season, she's in World War II, maybe, fighting Nazis. In the second season, she's in modern day. Yeah, but in the Hulk, I mean, totally, there's all kinds of attempts and failures but for sure i think those two stood apart and just to add to that like this isn't marvel or dc but clearly like i would say the third quote-unquote superhero film that was super popular was the six million dollar man right like again not a real uh -huh. comic book superhero but has this sort of structure that i do want to talk about today because if you're like a big mcu fan and you're looking for something that's MCU-like in terms of the way the story's written or action's written or anything like that, you're not really going to get it here. This is sort of like um, procedural drama with superheroes mm -hmm. in it. Like this show in particular, The Amazing Spider-Man, only 13 episodes, but ran over the course of like two or three years, like really stretched it out. And it's... For the most part, Peter Parker is a crime reporter who just happens to be able to dress up as Spider-Man and catch the thieves himself. Um, it's not that different from like an NCIS today, perhaps, or something of that nature. Or like 90% of the TV shows that were on TV at the time that weren't sitcoms. They were these procedural, like detective shows, like either whodunits or how catch-ems, right? And that was the most surprising thing. And even if you extend to the 80s, like, they'll continue to do stuff like this. Like, the A-Team, 
I think a lot of people who who get into the A team today or try to are very disappointed from like the lack of 21st century style action, if you will, right? Like it's a lot of this. It's a yeah, lot of yeah. sneaking around and it's a lot of posturing, a lot of attitude, right? It's so much more about kind of just selling the idea than like fulfilling it if that makes sense like you know they don't exactly like execute it necessarily but like they get the image there and that's that was always sort of enough you know yeah so like if you want to draw a line to the mcu today with this stuff it's a little difficult i'm glad it exists it's great to watch because just like as a history lesson but the 60s Batman that you mentioned, Mike, that has more in common with the comic book films we see today than this does. I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, but well, there's no supervillains in this movie, but I think I read that there's just no supervillains in the entire show of Spider-Man. Yeah, so for the most part, it was the same with Hulk as well. Yeah. I think he might have fought another Hulk at one point, but as far as I can remember, he fought a cult at one point so there was someone with like mind control but i don't think anybody directly ripped from the comics like he never ran into you know shocker or scorpion or dr octopus or anybody like that it's really closer to if you and i decided to become spider-man you know what it almost reminds me of is like what they tried to do with daredevil for netflix that to me is sort of the line is like while this isn't as brutal necessarily it's the same sort of focus on the everyday life as opposed to more of the crime fighting aspect of it generally i feel like it's more concerned with like that type of character than exploring super heroics necessarily yeah i would say how much how much of the movie do you think he's actually spider-man 10 percent yeah you know, right? probably. More than I was expecting. But. <laughs> well, that's good, at least. This is the third in that series, right? And they're all, uh, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong, they're all just like TV shows that they put together to make movies, right? Yeah, so they're two-part episodes that were combined and released overseas as feature-length films. And the last two episodes of the series were The Chinese Web, and those were compiled and released as this movie, The Dragon's Challenge. Now, funny enough, like, that's how I saw them growing up as a kid. I did not get a chance to see this broadcast on television, but growing up, I had a great video store, and he had these movies wow, to rent. Wow, wow. That's how I originally saw these, the Spider-Man show, uh, when I was a little kid. And then it took year. it was like 30 years until I laid eyes on it again, you know? <laughs> I know. I mean, like, I didn't even know it exists. It didn't. Does Marvel, like, just not want to talk about this? Well, it's funny you should say that because people were sort of championing, like, Nicholas Hammond should have shown up at some point in the last Spider-Man movie if they were getting the whole gang back together, you know, quite honestly. Like, maybe he's in the purple cloud somewhere. But, uh, no, you know, it's funny. They did that show on Disney Plus called Marvel 616, and they actually did an episode of Japanese Spider-Man. They're sort of more interested in exploring that than they are talking about this ever again. It seems like I've not heard hide nor hair. I don't know if there's actually official releases of this. Um, you know, I found mine on eBay years ago. Like, they're really nice copies, and that's how I was able to watch it this time. I know that there's some stuff up on YouTube. Is that how you were able to see it? Yeah, I just watched it on YouTube. And I mean, and I know the quality is not the best, but you have to remember, like, this is not remastered. So. The quality was probably pretty similar even for people watching on TV at the time, right? Yeah, 
standard definition on a tube television <laughs> recorded for posterity on a VHS tape somewhere in a, in a warehouse you know, forever until it just degrades. Um, I'm wondering why Marvel doesn't sort of or Disney for that matter, I should say, have this kind of stuff up as like, not all of it, but maybe a retrospective about it. I mean, there could be a lot of rights issues concerning, you know, like some of those Captain America films or something, but it's not like you can watch The Incredible Hulk on Disney Plus right now. Like I know Paramount might still own parts of that license and stuff. So it's, it could be like a murky thing with Sony, like that kind of thing as well. So yeah, so and that's what actually it is. I just know this because actually I, I've been reading that big HBO book that came out. CBS and someone else formed to make Columbia Pictures so they could compete with, you know, HBO movies and kind of hoard them away from them, right? This got distributed by Columbia, which eventually CBS and whoever spins off Columbia to Sony. Oh, Sony Pictures Television. Exactly. So this must be in the Sony rights thing. And my guess, because I was trying to think exactly what you're saying, Mike, why isn't this on Disney Plus? Or even just like a fun retrospective about it. And I really think it's because they did not want to die on that hill with Sony. Things are going well. Negotiations have been going well for like the Tom Holland stuff. Maybe they just didn't want to ask the question like, hey, could we have this old thing? Because it's really like, it's it's not worth it to like, I don't want to lose Tom Holland in the MCU over this. You know? No, I understand all those politics, but trying to put like that aside, it is content and it is Spider-Man content. And we're in the middle of like, you know, I think the cat's out of the bag. I just saw it again last night all three spider-men you know shared the screen in that last movie it it would have been a a great time to celebrate something like this saying hey you know the first live action spider guy who played him interview him show some clips like stroll down memory lane like no one hates this stuff how bad can you come out against this show right like in this day and age like there's so much worse stuff to like make fun of i found this very sort of endearing at times and i loved how they tried to take it so seriously what you say about the japanese spider-man is just like amazing to me like how can we revere that and not talk about this spider-man fans need to especially movie fans need to look at their ancestors (laughs) no you know no (laughs) pun intended here the one thing i will say that maybe and even doing research kind of back what I, i was thinking but that maybe has put this in the back of the closet collecting dust if you will it's not really much from the comic book right he just happens to be peter parker he happens to be spider-man everything else is tv people kind of writing this i mean yeah yeah you've got a you've got a point there but you also have to understand like the hulk isn't what the hulk comic was either. no no not at all and that worked so well on such a different level than the comic was doing and it was another expression of like look how we could stretch this IP and this character and this idea in a different direction and and that is so much more grounded and and so I think they were trying to do the same thing with Spider-Man where it's like okay let's take him from just being a photographer to a full-on reporter age him up a little bit we still got J. Jonah Jameson you know this feels a lot more like Superman until he gets into the suit got the older sort of very wizened editor-in-chief and he's running around very Clark Kent-like in this one. And he's got sort of the um, the female sidekick reporters that work with him. This isn't the asshole J. Jonah Jameson that we're used to these days. I found that so fascinating. I did a little research and I took some notes regarding this. The pilot is what they spun into a movie and that was just called Spider-Man. The originals, but not the Tobey Maguire one, this one. And apparently, you know, the ratings were okay, but they really liked where it was going. But uh, CBS 
thought that that one was too childish. Kids actually really liked it, but adults did not. And of course, they wanted this to be an adult show like the Hulk. So I haven't seen that one. Um, You have seen the first one? It's been quite a while. Because apparently in that one, he has like a little bit more powers and he does more like Spider-Man we're used to. And the executives after that were like, ground him. We want the Hulk. Okay, okay. It's interesting you say that, though, because I did mention earlier that I was surprised at how much Spider-Man we did get here because I wasn't expecting that much. In the originals, like you're saying, I do remember there being way more shots of him crawling on buildings, way more inserts of him just kind of running on rooftops and jumping from building, you know, just like a lot more of that spider pizzazz, kind of just him doing a flip for no reason, just cut to him doing a flip. And I did notice they sort of cut a lot of that back. I mean, he even gets shot in this one why do they keep shooting spider-man brian like (laughs) don't fucking get that with a dart at one point he gets shot in the subway remember yeah i forgot about that um what's the second film in the series so that's called spider-man strikes back It's from 78, it had a theatrical release abroad, and it's a composite of the two-part episode Deadly Dust, released May 8th, 1978. I, I can't recall this one. <laughs> I, I'm assuming that like there's something to do with like a chemical weapon, maybe, something of that nature. Deadly Dust. Well, it's also interesting that like if you watch these, they do still feel like tv shows right like it doesn't feel like two separate things necessarily like at least this one it gels well together but it doesn't feel as big as a movie no i wonder what the run times were i wonder if this was an hour slot because that's what if it's a two-parter and it ran a full 85 minutes that's without commercials i'm just so curious as to some more background on some of these single episodes but not a lot of scholarship on this mike i'm so interested Isn't it crazy, too, that uh, 13, 14 episodes, if you count the pilot, and of those 14, five of them... Almost (laughs) half of the series. ...are movies that they spun off later. It's just insane. But I think this is also why we don't have that Doctor Strange series, which is unfortunate because I rewatched that movie from 1978, and it is awesome. Like, it's still really cool. It holds up. It, it, It feels almost like folk horror or something. I don't know. It feels like a weird George Romero movie. It's hard to explain, but it does sort of like the witchcraft stuff really, really well for the time. So I still enjoy that a lot. But that's not why we're actually here tonight. No, we're here for the Dragon's Challenge. I don't even know if Spider-Man knew he was here for the Dragon's Challenge. I can't believe Spider-Man's going to China. Like, uh, he's going abroad. It's going to be far from home. That's what we're on to, right? That's what this is? Far from home Asia. Can we talk a little about the cast? Because there's a couple people I want to mention. Oh, absolutely. Let's do the cast first. We talked about Nicholas Hammond already, but a couple people really stood out to me. Like, oh my God, I can't believe they were in this. Emily Chan, who plays the younger Asian woman that's, I don't know if she's a love interest of Spider-Man, but she's like the niece of the dude. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Rosalind Chow. Yeah, Rosalind Chow, who's been in a ton of stuff. Just clicking Wikipedia. Joy Luck Club. Star Trek Next Generation. Star Trek Deep Space Nine. Shang-Chi. Shang-Chi. So there you go. Just awesome actor. Great to see her here so young. Oh, uh, yeah. Joy Luck Club. Man, I haven't thought of that that movie in like 20 years. <laughs> <laughs> that, that was a... I remember that being a huge hit. Yeah. I don't know where, like, what show would cover it on the Cage Club Podcast Network. Maybe Contenders? 
I don't know, but but I know that uh, right now my co-host for Monster that made us Dan Cologne's going through all the mash, and it looks like she was on some mash. So I wonder if he's listening and he's watching this movie. I hope he gets a kick out of that. Other people in the cast too, I think, are a really really fun note here. Um, don't bury the lead, Brian. Like, let's just who? What do you mean who? Ted Danson is in this movie. Oh, of course. Yes, yes. I literally did bury the lead in my notes. That's like the fifth name I had. Ted Danson just shows up. He just shows up in like the first 15 minutes. He's like one of Peter's contacts from a previous adventure that I was hoping was an actual episode with a lot more Ted Danson. But from what I understand, this is his only appearance. They're not referencing like a prior episode from what I understand. Ted Danson is, and it's not even debatable, the greatest TV actor of all time. One day, I hope, very, very far in the future, when he passes, people will say that because it's it's undisputed to me. I mean, if you look at his like IMDb or whatever, he does so many of these just like little appearances before he lands Cheers. Seventy five is his first credit. Eighty two is Cheers. All right, so this is the year before Cheers. The year before Cheers. But, like, shows that nobody remembers today, he, like, guest starred in, if you even want to call it that. I'm sure he's on a love boat. Uh, Well, okay, Magnum P.I., Benson, Laverne and Shirley, which people know, but, like, BJ and the Bear. Do you know BJ and the Bear? I've heard of it. I've never seen an episode, though, but, yeah, I've heard of it. It's about a monkey and a truck driver. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, there's no bear on the show. The bear is the monkey. Yeah, that's the monkey's name. The golden age of T. TV and Ted Danson's guest starring. Then then so many hit shows in a row, right? Cheers, Becker, what? I mean, like, he did a CSI. Curb Your Enthusiasm? He's amazing on that. Bored to Death. He's in the show now, Mr. Mayor, which I don't really watch, but I- I've heard it's good. What was the other show? Oh, The Good Place, of course. Oh, The Good Place. He was in that Beastie Boys video in 2011. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> <laughs> well, the dude's a legend, and to see him here, I was just happy. So yes, I quite literally did bury the lead there, because he's America's leading man on TV. But <laughs> okay, two other people I just wanted to mention quick. Of course. Rita Conway is played by an actor named Chip Fields, and I thought she was so good. And I wish I'd seen her and known her from more things. Uh, she's another veteran TV actor, good times, living single, and the mother of Kim Fields, from the, the Facts of Life. And if you're out there and you were ever a fan of Community, the guy who plays the bad guy here, Zilder, um, is played by an actor named Richard Erdman. And that dude, he was just like the old dude in Community. What was his name in Community? I forgot his name in Community. Uh, Leonard. Leonard. Holy shit. That's amazing. I can't believe that's him. Yeah, he's great in this too. I loved him. Everybody in this is in this to win this. You know, like everybody feels, even Ted Danson feels like, man, I can't believe I get to be in Spider-Man. Like that's (laughs) sort of the energy I was vibing off of here. I don't know if this guy's from anything, but the very sort of like uncharacteristic J. Jonah Jameson, like even that guy was good as an actor. Like he wasn't really J. Jonah. He was still a good actor. You know, he was still, he wasn't, no one's really phoning it in in this movie. You know? No, I mean, and it's very much TV acting of the time. And it's not to say it's better or worse. It's just different than film acting, you know? Yeah, but if you notice, it's like, it's way more sort of filmic than today's tv acting right like i always felt like television or at least television from the 70s and 80s that was trying to be dramatic was always competing with 
feature films in the, the in the actual movie theaters. And so I always felt like they got high caliber actors and writers as best they could and really tried to play it straight. Now, maybe that's not the best thing to do for Spider-Man necessarily, you know, like I think it deserves a little more of that flamboyancy. But for the times, I think everybody just was way more on board than I was expecting them to be coming back to this, you know, like 30 years later with like an actual sort of perspective and stuff, like comparing it to today's things and everything. So that was kind of interesting. Well, to make it clear, like that's not necessarily a diss. I just think there's a different sort of style on TV compared to the film that you'd see around the same time, right? But you're right. They're taking it like it's a serious, serious TV drama at times when it's pretty absurd. His spidey sense. Well, yeah, that that I remember being much better. And I think that that's a budgetary thing. I think they really cut down in the spidey sense. But you know what was like kind of coming to mind watching this? And I can't believe like I'm actually going to say this, but like Spielberg's duel. Mm, Yeah. Just the caliber of television like was aiming for. Right. That's all I was sort of kind of getting to is like this is a long form television program you know hour whatever and so like it feels like they're aiming for more of like a prestige thing now whether or not they they hit that it's debatable um and, or <laughs> if they should even be going there is another thing but for what it's worth i give them a lot of credit this aged a lot better than i was expecting we'll get into the story stuff a little if, if you really want to because there are lots of story issues but otherwise like it's completely watchable it's definitely watchable it's just different you know it's just not something that i think the kids today would really get into or understand and it actually did pretty well when it was actually on the ratings were good cbs apparently just decided that they didn't want to be the superhero network and that they were relying too much on just superhero shows and this was just cut as a product of that which is kind of sad but yeah in its time people liked it I mean, it wouldn't be until the 90s until this stuff really caught on again. There would be ups and downs. There was like Superboy and like Great American Hero and there were things going on. But I feel like it really wasn't until like The Flash with John Wesley Shipp sort of like came on the scene where they're like, oh, it's possible to kind of do this stuff again. And then a little later you get the CW shows kicking into gear and it's, you know, all she wrote. They're off and running. Superhero stuff on TV is very hard to do, though. It's it just hard. Another show I want to credit, though, that like worked at the time was Smallville, right? Like, I think kids got really, or I say kids, but, you know, teens got really into Smallville and stuff like that. But you're right, like the whole recent DC thing on TV. And then now what like Marvel's doing on Disney Plus is just insane. That's what I was sort of getting at with the CW, that whole Smallville thing. That Yeah, that really kicked it kicked it off into gear. And I remember they were even trying to shoot that off into like an Aquaman show. Oh, yeah. There's some failed pilot film of that out there somewhere if you're looking for it. They even, I think, were trying to do like a Wonder Woman show that also never aired. But it's tough because like even with those properties, you know, even with like, you know, Wonder Woman, you would think it'd be a sure hit for a tv show and then sometimes it's just the character's too big for television right like they did that show gotham recently but it's not like they did the show batman like batman is sort of resigned to the films in in a lot of the way i feel like spider-man is these days too like we're not going to get a spider-man tv show unless it's like a disney plus thing those are barely tv shows you know what i mean those are more like long (laughs) movies especially also the way tv was being done still a lot today but exclusively back then was 
well, I shouldn't say exclusively because Spider-Man didn't do this, but they were looking to make like 50-something episode seasons, or at least 30 episode seasons of stuff. I don't know if I... I love Tom Holland. I love Spider-Man. I don't know if I would watch 30 Spider-Man episodes in a year. (laughs) You know what I mean? That's a lot of commitment. That's just a huge part of the landscape that's changed is the number of episodes per season. Like, it is just insane for me to remember and think that, like, I used to watch, like, 20 episodes a season of like person of interest like what were they fucking <laughs> thinking like what the hell and you know thankfully i think like those guys who were writing lost were like trying to really cut their show back and take a you know at the time i remember in the early 2000s like everyone was like oh look at what they're doing in in the uk with their short form series and all that and like less episodes less episodes it became like a mantra for a while and it finally like happened you know and now seasons if anything are like 8 to 12 episodes I feel and even that sometimes is pushing it but yeah it's just wild how we consume stuff differently now too like this is way slower than an episode of Hawkeye way slower like way less happens in an hour of this than happens in like an episode of Falcon and Winter Soldier (laughs) then that's something that again I don't think someone who grew up on the MCU would be able to digest when it comes to this stuff even the best episodes of the Incredible Hulk are slow as hell (laughs) It's true. It's true. If I wasn't told growing up that that was a good show, I wonder if I would have taken it to heart, right? And I grew up loving that show and and thinking that that was good television. And it is, but it's not the end-all be-all or anything like that. Well, look at, like, you know, what you're up against with stuff. Like, if Kojak finds the clue at the beginning, most of the hour is him talking to people. Maybe a quick gunfight, you know what I mean? Like, behind an alley. But it takes two seconds. Talking, 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 talking. And then the climax. And that's what this is. That's true. That's what was really selling, right? Like, Columbo. Like, that kind of thing. It's funny you say Kojak, because he was almost in the original Superman movie, I heard. Yeah, I mean, he's got the look for Lex Luthor. Well, I don't know. I think he was supposed to be Kojak and do like a walk on. Oh, what? Um, <laughs> yeah. Like sucking on a lollipop and everything. And going like, hey, Superman, who loves you, baby? <laughs> I digress. <laughs> we don't have to go like beat for beat on the story. Just they should tell people what the dragon's challenge is because I don't know what it is. Absolutely. Yeah. So, okay. So do somewhat of a plot summary. Then we could go into kind of our favorite parts. There's a few things I'd like to mention. Ultimately, here's what's going on. An old World War, well, not even a World War II buddy, but an old college buddy of J. Jonah Jameson named Min Lo Chan is living in China and he's like a real estate land developer and his competitor has dug up this dirt on him that he may have done something nefarious during World War II with these three American Marines and he's being blackmailed so he comes to America for J. Jonah Jameson's help who sort of gives that responsibility to Peter Parker and tells him to try and contact these three Marines to clear his friend's name so they could all go back to China and testify and this could all be over with and the evil like developer will go to prison and his friend will be off the hook and everyone's name will be cleared throughout the episode all these hitmen are trying to kill Min Lo Chan Peter Parker is trying to protect him as Spider-Man they find one of the Marines is still alive they all go back to China they are attacked there some of them are kidnapped Spider-Man has to rescue him from a big penthouse and a karate fight and he does the movie ends they all go back to New York City (laughs) And on with the rest of their lives. They all don't go back to New York City. Emily stays, but ever... Right, so throughout the movie, Minlo's niece, Emily, has been helping them throughout, and uh, Peter Parker 
reveals his identity to her and she stays behind and they share a kiss and he says maybe we will meet again someday so yes they don't all go back to america but in the end spider-man does not stay in china he just goes right back to america presumably for another season that didn't happen that's right yeah this was the end that was it so before we get into it brian what do you how do you feel i did on that plot summary anything you'd like to add or any questions absolutely not you did great that is literally everything that happens in this blackmail i mean classic haven't seen blackmail (laughs) in a while i don't think it really works that much anymore so that was kind of classic crime there real estate developers evil real estate landowners kind of kind of very 80s there that was kind of interesting there i laughed so hard at i couldn't tell if there was this was like an advertisement for hong kong Or just they didn't know how to fill up this two-hour or whatever. It's going to be an hour-and-a-half movie, but two-hour at the time show. Because we just get like, oh, where do you want to go in Hong Kong? Let's go there. And then they go there. And we see it for like a good five, ten minutes. You know? And they go somewhere else. And they're just talking about Hong Kong at times. Like, oh, when I first came here, it wasn't as built up. But the progress they're making is insane. Now, Brian, I mean, what you're talking about isn't even until like the last 20, 30 minutes of the movie. That's a good point, Mike. I was shocked that this whole thing wasn't Spider-Man in China. Like, I thought for sure Peter Parker was going to be sent on assignment. And as he was there, he was going to get into Spider-Man hijinks. And it was going to just be that. Like, the cover the cover makes it look like it's going to be a Bruce Lee movie with Spider-Man. That would have been amazing if, if he, like, discovered some kind of Bloodsport underground fighting ring thing. And they were, you know, not that they were all super-powered, which would have been amazing, but, like... But he hardly is anyway. You know, he could still fight in that. No, that's, a, that's an awesome idea. But nope. It's just, like, investigating around New York for a while. Uh, literally. Tr- so they're trying to find these three Marines who can prove that uh min lo chan is innocent and two of them are dead or i don't know they're just not available at the moment and there's only one that they track down that i thought peter was lying that he knew him but then later he's like remember i took your class so like peter knows this guy and i'm like by coincidence i don't know that was insane so like first of all this was this was crazy to me because i was like i just would not be able to function back then anymore because minlo comes to the daily planet daily bugle sorry comes to the daily bugle it feels like the daily planet and he shows j jonah jameson he's like hey i remember this picture of me and those three guys and he's like oh okay and he hands the picture to peter parker he's like peter find these three guys and it's like okay they like end up going down into the filing cabinets to try and like they don't no names or anything do they need they maybe they know a name and then it turns out one of them was hiding in plain sight as peter's history professor and like going under a pseudonym what but then how did peter not recognize him from the photo i know it was younger but come on it's nuts it falls apart very quickly when they get into the like the minutiae the nitty-gritty the actual mystery details yeah, because his uh, girlfriend, who's not a comic book character, right? Julie Masters, or you know, his love interest, we'll call her. She helps out, as well as the other person who I mentioned, Rita Conway. Now, here's something funny about Julie Masters, is it's MJ reversed. Oh, God. I didn't realize that. <laughs> Good call. They do part of the research, right? With Peter as well. Mm-hmm. And then whenever they kind of want to help, he's like, go, go over there. It, this is funny, too, because it's very much... 
in the Superman style of getting in and out of the suit as well. Like, Peter will have to run to the bathroom or wherever, right? And I thought that was kind of cool because that's more, like, practical because I think they kind of, they like to cut those corners a lot in in Spider-Man movies, right? Like, we don't see something and suddenly Peter's in the suit. Because I I guess you don't want to see that every time, Peter changing. But in this one, it's very much like, give me a second. And, like, they give him, like, a good... 10 15 20 seconds even to change or get back in the suit and he just comes out in the suit you know like uh, there's something kind of innocent about that in these films yeah no because no one is like on alert for any of that kind of it's not the mcu where like i'd be so suspicious that like anybody was up to something at this point you know if like half my friends disappeared for five years and came back i would be like anybody could have powers (laughs) like i would just be on guard all the time if i lived in the mcu but like yeah back then it's like oh excuse me i just have to go use the restroom for a moment and then spider-man shows up you know it's amazing but there's one maybe my favorite part and this leads into my favorite aspect of the film is that Peter's in Minlo's apartment with his cousin and they're talking and there's like these thugs come to kidnap him and and Peter just jumps out a window (laughs) he just jumps out a window and the guy's like yeah he jumped out the window (laughs) and then Spider-Man shows up swinging in the same exact window it was it was incredible but then Emily is like Peter you coward I can't believe you ran away and he's like oh man I was like that right there that is perfect spider-man for me yes he did the right thing and he got blamed for something Uh, i i thought that was cool like that they worked just that amount of spider-man i recognized into the movie i was like great i'm i'm good whatever they do next if they want to do some kind of crazy boat ride when they get to china some boat race fine let them do a boat race i'm up for it (laughs) i like everything you're saying about this movie and actually I, i didn't hate the movie at all That's what's fun about it, but let's add up all those things in terms of time, right? Like, everything you just said that that's great, how much time does that take? Oh, like five minutes not no like three minutes well yeah like so there's about six spider-man appearances in this the first one is in the records the, the morgue right like the newspaper morgue the record department and he shows up and he chases a guy through the printing press plant area right uh that lasts like three minutes because it's really slow and he's sneaking around then there's the one we just mentioned that's maybe one of the longer ones then he webs a guy in the parking garage remember and he gets the information about the microfilm that's about two minutes maybe <laughs> right the the subway one which is pretty awesome maybe that's like five minutes and he's in the subway and he runs down the tracks and they shoot him then there's the boat chase in china that's like probably three minutes where he gets shot again with this time with a dart and then there's the final penthouse fight which is like a nice good sequence i think they went all out for that sequence where we get the webs the climbing the, the karate he really you know is, is in full display on that one so yeah, 10 minutes of Spider-Man, and there's more action, but it's still a lot of it just sneaking around, looking stuff up, like literally looking information up, and telling stories of Hong Kong and stuff like that. I don't know. It's just so different. The drama's weird because it's like Peter goes to his teacher and he's like, you got to tell the truth. And he's like, leave me alone, Peter. I won't tell the truth. And they're like, well, we struck out with that guy. Let's find the other two guys. And it's like, no, man, you're Spider-Man. Like, show up as Spider-Man and convince this guy to do the right thing. Like, where's that scene? (laughs) (laughs) 
And instead, it becomes like chasing down microfilm. I mean, I'm glad they go to China. That's like when it sort of becomes what I was expecting it to be, because it almost feels more like James Bond at that point, where you were saying earlier, it's like a travel log, where it's like, let's go to a temple. Let's see this place. Let's go to that place. Like, oh, I've got these guides, and, and they're going to show us around. They go to that wet mart where COVID was created. Come on. <laughs> Just kidding. No, but like, it is like that. <laughs> not that, not that part, but like, it's exactly how you're describing it. It's just, and they obviously shot some of this in Hong Kong, but they also shot a lot of the Hong Kong scenes in LA. It's obvious because also like they'll use non-Chinese actors a lot of the times randomly in China. Like the main bad guy is not Chinese. There's a couple mm-hmm. two like speaking roles in China. And yes, I know it's Hong Kong and I know it's a British colony, but there's a couple there. They remind you of that too. That was really weird where they like have complications crossing the borders and stuff. I don't really know what to make of this, but I do want to see the other films just for like fun, nostalgia, background stuff. Maybe while I'm editing or something. Does this add anything that you could mine for like future MCU movies? I don't think it has. A- the only thing I was thinking is bring back Ted Danson as Major Collings in, in something. Okay, yes, that. Yes, I would love that. But also, I, I stopped myself from like saying like it has nothing because I would like to see Spider-Man in Asia. I know he's actually pretty popular in Asia. We were at talk about the Japan show. I think that's a cool like to have him web slinging in one of these like awesome Asian cities that kind of marry that old culture with the modernness like of the buildings. Like I think that's a really cool image to have Spider-Man web slinging there. Like a Tokyo or a Shanghai or even Hong Kong today, right? Like I think that would be very cool. Yeah, I'm absolutely up for that, you know, and, um, you know, anywhere new, like imagine him swinging around Dubai, those enormous skyscrapers and things. So like, I really do like that. Like that for me is what I like most about, well, that is sort of the bones of Far From Home, but I like rewatching Far From Home because he's out of America. Like, I think that is the best part for me about this movie is when Peter Parker actually shows up in China in the suit. Like I was joking, he does, you know, they do do a boat race, which makes no sense because he's Spider-Man, but like, I don't care because Spider-Man's in China doing shit, you know? I'm like, that's all it really takes to make me happy. So I want to see more Spider-Man in other countries. It's cool. I know there's like, um, remember like Indian Spider-Man was very popular for a while. So I think they're bringing him back with the next multiverse movie, Spider-Verse movie. Spider-Verse, yeah. Maybe a cool idea for a Disney Plus show would be a live action Spider-Verse thing where you just get like one episode per country where you're like, here's the Indian Spider-Man episode. Here's the Japanese Spider-Man episode. You know, here's the German Spider-Man. You know what I mean? Like, I think that could actually be a pretty cool concept. That would be really cool. I wish they continued the show, but I guess it just would have gone the way of the Hulk. Yeah, so I don't know. I don't know. Maybe I'll take that back. I think the difference is, like, there wasn't a lot of stuff like the Hulk on TV. What else was there? There was, like, um, what was the Michael Landon show? Was that Highway to Heaven? Like, Highway to Heaven and the Hulk are exactly the same fucking show, except one's a Hulk and one's an angel. But they both are (laughs) homeless people wandering from town to town, fixing people's lives. Like, it's insane. But, like, how many shows were like this? Like, the rest of them, right? Like, basically, there were too many shows, I feel, like this to set it apart by just having a guy in a costume run around for five minutes. As much as I would love to have seen that more, it just isn't what they were going for, right? Like, no, you know what this kind no. of feels like when we were talking about Amazing Spider-Man and they were they wanted to do like the dark and gritty sort of Christopher Nolan version. It's like, yeah, let's do like the hard-nosed crime reporter uh, television show and then like we'll just have them, instead of cops, we'll just have one guy in a suit and you know, like round everybody up at the end of the episode. 
Well, Mike, you know there is a Spider-Man who does take his time getting the facts and solving crimes. Spider-Noir, who you very much want to see. I was thinking about that last night watching Far From Home again, and I was like, would they have the, not the balls, but like, would they go as far as to actually film it in black and white and have like if he were to show up in live action would his universe be in black and white and would like would it be like pleasantville would like spider-man toby Maguire show up in color while like the rest of the world's in black and white and man that would be a meta moment just for like toby Maguire movies oh yeah you can hear more of that on high school slumber party because pleasantville recommendation happened there and that would be fun i i think we're ready for that i think we're ready for that because with the multiverse with the timelines and loki and variants and stuff like that is there anything that would really surprise you at this point in terms of uh stylized stuff right like i don't think so the only thing that might not match which is like that's how i'm sort of playing it in my head you know like i think i mentioned on our crossover i was like i was worried that the villains from the other movies wouldn't match in the mcu because they're from different production teams and design wise but they did a great job of sort of recustomizing them to make a match we've talked a lot about maybe spider ham showing up at some point okay but i don't think he could show up as a cartoon you know he would need to show up like rocket raccoon like he would have to be like as realistic cg as you could do i think the line is drawn by having like the actual cartoon characters like roger rabbit like i don't think you could roger rabbit it in that sense like you could do it by crossing over properties but it would always have to be live on live i don't think you could go live on animated you know you know what i'm saying (laughs) yeah you're right about that you'd have to keep the medium that you can't do and cgi obviously is animated that's not what we mean but you mean like 2d that kind of animation style yeah. If Peter B. Parker from Spider-Verse showed up as his cartoon form, can't handle that in my head. No. You know, I can't have him shaking hands with live-action Tom Holland. Well, we laugh about that, but didn't we just see that in Loki with the clock? You're right. Not only that, <laughs> the fucking alligator, I ate that shit up. Like, who knows, you know? I'm with you, I'm with you, with you, and then I'm thinking about it, and then I'm like, wait a minute, there's like literally the depiction, what, I forgot what that clock was called in Loki. Miss Minutes? But it was a cartoon, and we all accepted it, and we were all- You're right. The funny thing is that it started as just a video, and then she showed up walking around on his table and stuff, and you're like, wait a minute, it's a real, like, it's a real thing, and then it shows up again to, like, at the end, and you're like, what? is that (laughs) i'm telling you they have us by the throat (laughs) you know what i mean you might be right whatever they want to shove down our throats at this point they can do you can use it i think sparingly and you can use it when the tone and context is right like if an animated person showed up in hawkeye that would be like what the hell's going on if one of his arrows started talking to him The closest thing to a cartoon in that show is, what's his name? The Mustache Man. Jack, whatever. Oh, I love, yeah, the swordsman's great. great. But you know what? The more I think about Hawkeye, the more that's like Scooby-Doo. Like, they have the dog, they have the kid, they got the guy, like, they're solving crime. I mean, that's a great show. I love it. But, I mean, it's kind of funny when you think about how, sort of, I was like, wow, that really is an over-the-top show. Like, much crazier shit going on than I was expecting. That's a good point. That's also to your point. They got away with way more wackiness and sort of bringing in a lot more MCU stuff than I thought in something with Hawkeye, a show that they tried to kind of solidify their commitment to the unpowered hero. 
you got Yolanda showing up with no powers. You got Clint. You you know, you got his protege. You got Kingpin at the end. Like, none of these people are imbued with power. None of them fell into something that gave them a, a thing. It's interesting that part of the point of the show is, like, look what normal people can do. But then you throw in, like, you know, Ant-Man arrows and shit like that. <laughs> and, like, you know, like, slime arrows and, like, all that kind of crap, too. And, and it's, again, it matches. I was just very surprised how well they're able to make all this match. The biggest takeaway I have from this film or mo- or TV show or however you want to put it, uh, The Dragon's Challenge, is like where we were at this point and where we are today with Endgame and the Marvel TV shows and everything along that line and just how we're so hook, line, and sinker. And when they were in the 70s also, when they're thinking, 70s and 80s, when they're thinking about adapting this Marvel stuff, they're saying, how can we make people like this? How can we make it more like TV? And today... They pretty much can do whatever they want now, <laughs> and we love it. So I think it's a great history lesson. I, I I think if you're someone who's not familiar with it, but you have an open mind and you want to see like kind of where this IP was and where it is today, it's a really fun watch in that respect. And it's not bad. It's just, again, if you don't understand the pacing and style of 70s and 80s TV, I could see it deterring a lot of people. I wholeheartedly agree. I agree 100%. Now, I, I will just add that I feel like there's one little secret ingredient that they didn't quite figure out yet, and they figured out for the Hulk a little too late, and that is the appeal of crossover characters, okay? So the MCU nowadays, like, is basically, part of it is who's going to show up? Who's going to show up in the next scene? Like, is someone going to, is there going to be an Easter egg or a guest star? Is, like, a character going to come back that we didn't remember or we forgot about or this or that? Now, if only Spider-Man could have crossed over with the Hulk for an episode, or Captain America, or Doctor Strange, who lived on the other side of the city how amazing would that have been but alas it wasn't really until those hulk tv movies that hulk did team up with thor in one of them he teamed up with daredevil in another one of them and they were very successful at least i think they're successful and i think they were considered at the time hits and uh, it got people talking you know like oh look it's the hulk and daredevil like that was a really cool thing and so it would have been nice if they could have thought in that direction a little earlier maybe like that just to me feels like an ingredient now that the mcu is like oh yeah after that first wave and we made sure that the avengers can assemble let's just throw whatever we can at them like you know this person will team up with that person like ragnarok with hulk and thor again like amazing you know so it's just cool i think for its time it's pretty good and uh it's just like you said it's interesting to see where we come from and uh compared to where we are and you know, I don't think I would have been able to live with myself if we had finished this Spider-Man retrospective and after this being brought to my attention and reminded of this, that uh, that if we had not done this, like the completionist in me could not leave this undone. And oh, we're one, we're one spider friend short. We don't have Kyle with us tonight, but I'm going to be subjecting him to plenty other <laughs> Marvel Part 3. So he's off the hook for this one. This is something like I feel like you and I were going on this spider journey. We had to kind of bring it to a close in, in some kind of way. So I'm glad that we got this extra episode out of it now you know the only thing i want marvel wise as my payment for being a a guest on these and that is rag and rock so one day when you put out i was gonna say like the bat signal but what what's the marvel equipment of the bat signal i don't know that's a good question the avengers assemble call to action (laughs) (laughs) yeah i suppose right uh we'll, we'll have to think on that one 
I have a couple planned for the year. Like, I want to do a couple more of these superheroes. Like, I'm really in the in the groove with these older ones. Like, there was a third Captain America movie that came out in 1990. So there there was the 78 and 79 ones with Rev Brown, and then in, in the 1990 there was one. So maybe I'll I'll get that one in there with Kyle. I want to do Punisher Warzone, which technically is the third Punisher movie. I would like to do the third Hulk made for TV movie, but definitely getting back to the MCU proper, have to still do Ragnarok and uh, I believe even Civil War. Yeah, it's a long road ahead in the sacred timeline and now with its <laughs> fractured realities and, and everything's, almost everything's an MCU movie now. Like that's sort of the course correct this year. I think that's what they're saying. Everything, even what we're doing right now, even this podcast is in the MCU timeline because <laughs> it's all infinite. And if they wanted to one day, they could bring us in. I wish, but they could bring us into the MCU. Uh, oh, it's crazy. It's crazy what they did, that course correcting. Like, there are so many doors that they don't have to open themselves that now in our head we could think about. Again, what if, what if this Spider-Man, the Spider-Man we talked about today, does show up in the MCU one day? Who knows? And it wouldn't, it wouldn't be earth-shattering at this point it's just something that could happen and if it adds to the story great well i'm right there with you hopefully i'll be sitting in the theater next to you cheering along whatever the next surprise might be but uh brian i think that is going to draw this episode to a close i think we could tie it up in a nice little web for the day i love the web i loved the web in this like when they just you saw just like a web and then it became a net i love that yeah absolutely well is there anything else before we sign off that you want to mention about the movie any anything before plugs no i mean we are in 2022 check out high school slumber party still trying to formulate my year but uh senior year is coming to a close mike what's gonna happen are you guys gonna graduate out there are we gonna get another you know year of high school slumber party will we just live on san emilio island for the summer with kyle forever who knows but we'll see at the end are you gonna fall into a time warp and end up back in freshman year oh my god that could happen too maybe that maybe there's an alternate timeline we'll explore of the high school slumber party universe i don't know but we're still gonna cover some high school movies and i want to do some real winners real real popular high school films before our school year ends in june however mike your number might be called soon because it's almost been a year since we talked Corey films believe it or not Uh (laughs) uh-oh has it been a year already not quite but i think we did that in like in march or april or whatever and it's january so oh man the time might be coming soon so Corey on Corey action might be happening so get ready Hey man, I'm I'm here. I signed up for it. I'm I'm down. Whatever you need, choreologist, your Corey expert. <laughs> yeah, you know I can't complain about a hole I dug myself, right? So I'm in it till the end. We're gonna get matching Corey tattoos. Well, let's let's just relax. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not go that far. That'd be worse for me than you. I don't have a single tattoo. My only tattoo would be a two Corey's tattoo. So that would be interesting. Well, what would it be? A Feldman or a Haim? What would you, or, or just, just the name Corey? Maybe we have to choose like a photo that they're together and we get the halves on our bodies. So when we put like our arms together or whatever, it's the two Corey's reuniting. I got a better idea. How about we find a picture of them tearing in a half and then we each keep part of that picture. In a locket. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. Well, Mike, thank you once again for having me on third time to charm and can't wait to come back for something else that's 
going to do it for another episode of Third Time's a Charm. Gotta thank my co-host, Brian Rodriguez, and be sure to go over to his feed and check out his great show, High School Slumber Party, I'm on it a lot, and his two other shows with his co-host, Kyle. P.S. I Love Hoffman, and P.S. I Still Love Hoffman. Also check out Kyle's show, Foodie Films, and while you're at it, check out all the other great shows we got over on cageclub.me. I myself do other shows with Joey Lewandowski, such as The Titular Cage Club, Cinemakers, and Tom Tom Club, just to name a few. Also check out The Monsters That Made Us with myself and Dan Cologne the last Friday of every month as we are looking at the original Universal Monster movies. Thank you for listening, and you can find all these shows wherever you get podcasts, cageclub.me, facebook.com slash cageclub, or at cageclubpod on Twitter and Instagram. And until next time... That's the magic number. Yes, it is. It's the magic number. Three. Three. They stubbing me, and that's the magic number. What does it all mean?